0: Hello and welcome back to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. I'm Ed and I'm joined today by Claire. Hiya. And by Paul. Hello. And today we are talking about Christianese and Christianese is the sort of language that we all use within churches and it's only when you take a step back or when you kind of encounter somebody who's not uh, grown up in church um, and realise that it, it doesn't make any sense to them at all. Um, it's been quite interesting um, with my with my wife Sophie, but she didn't grow up in church, so a lot of this when we started going out, I would just say lots of these these words and phrases, and she'd just be like, "What what on earth are you talking about?" And um, it led to some really interesting conversations. But there's a good definition I've got here of Christianese that I thought was quite funny. And it says, uh, Christianese is the language spoken by Christians. It makes no sense to anyone unfamiliar with biblical texts, but earns you major points in the eyes of other Christians, because it means your words are hella holy. So uh, there you go. That is what the internet has got to say about Christianese. Uh, Is this a
1: phrase you guys have heard a lot, Christianese? I think for me, it's a a phrase that's come up more and more recently as we um, sort of look more into the mission as a church and how we can be more effective and less confusing to people who aren't already Christians or aren't already in the Salvation Army.
2: It's really interesting because when I knew we were talking about this, I suddenly thought like, but perhaps there's so many words that I'm so familiar with that I don't realise perhaps that they are unfamiliar to people outside the church and what that actually looks like and sounds like.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm sure that well, we've spent a little bit of time just trying to figure out what uh, what phrases to talk about today, but I'm sure there are loads that we are still like it's sat in a blind spot for us that we just use because they're so comfortable to us but actually are are very difficult to understand if you you don't have the background and the context yeah so what the way where this is going to work is we're gonna share three that are kind of uh, christianese that you can hear across any church denomination or most church denominations and then three specifically from the Salvation Army as we are all part of the Salvation Army on this podcast so we thought we would be specific about the language that we use but before we go into it I just want to quickly mention the listener group and if you are a regular listener or even if it's this this is your first time listening we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback we'd love to get uh, your ideas on all of the conversations that we have and the place to do that is in the listenership Listener group. So if you'd like to find it, head to Facebook and search SSOM Listener Group, and you should be able to join it there. And we'd love to carry on the conversation. But uh, now over to Claire for our first Christianese slogan.
2: So the Christianese slogan that I've chosen is actually one straight from the words of Jesus. Wow. And it's in John 3, I know, wow. <laughs> quite, an, quite an integral part of yep. the church and what it means to be a disciple. But actually, within the context of the story, it turns out it's not just us who don't necessarily understand it. Hmm. In John 3, Jesus is speaking to a man called Nicodemus, and he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus says, How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And you know what? That's a very logical
0: yep.
2: explanation or a question in terms of when we talk about being born again. And so kind of as we share that phrase with people today, mm. I imagine it would probably be a similar reaction. Have you guys heard that phrase? Do you have an understanding of what, what does it mean?
1: I've definitely heard the phrase. Um, and I don't think I've ever used it. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if I had. Um, but i think when you break it down sort of without the the context of us knowing what it means it sounds really odd
0: uh, yeah it's i think it's become a bit of a tagline and a bit of a qualifier in some in some senses because i often see people describe themselves as born again christians like uh not just a christian but a born again christian like that's yeah. like a higher level of holiness Um, and I'm not quite sure I like it in that usage, (laughs) Um, but I I think they're at that central point of... um, Oh, it makes me think of that song. uh, I am a new creation, no more a condemnation. Do you know that one? I've just sung on the podcast for the first time there, so um, you're welcome, listener, for that. (laughs) But yeah, it it reminds me of that, um, that sort of idea of us being made new um, in... In Christ is another one there we, we didn't have on the list but well, I was about to say made new in Christ and I'm not sure that's easy to understand either.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a very like maybe, maybe oversimplified term. Yeah. There's something that we like the idea of. Yeah. It's not the it's not the concept of being being made new I guess or changed or however you want to phrase it. Yeah. But um, it is a really confusing thing to say to someone.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting because looking at the kind of the context within um, Scripture, Jesus goes on to say, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. And kind of as you were saying earlier, Ed, in terms of there's that, that understanding of Christian, and then in terms of being born again, whether there's that two different two different levels because i don't know if someone asked and i've been asked this in the past when were you born again and i don't i don't know know that would be an honest answer in terms of what that looks like
0: yeah i guess that question um shows a certain perspective on conversion and like what what happens when you become a christian and all that sort of thing doesn't it because i guess i guess there are different schools of thought of like you can when you become a christian like that's that one moment and some people have uh like a real moment they can tell you the date they can tell you the time of when they became a christian and i guess that's what they're looking for aren't they when they say when when were you born again but i know that's certainly not my story having grown up in the church and like i would say i was i've gradually grown closer to god throughout my life i'm and further away at other points but um uh, i'm not i'm not sure there was one moment that i was born again but is is it? Can you describe it as a process of consistently
1: being born again? Yeah. I don't know. While you, while you were talking, I um, was about to interject with a Damascus Road moment, and then I realised I was doing it. Oh, there we go! <laughs> Damascus Road <laughs> moment. Yeah. that's a bonus one. Another one to add in.
2: It's really interesting, actually, because this just in this moment reminds me of a, uh, an audio book I was listening to the other day, and it's by someone i can't remember but it's basically talking about the influence of the king james bible um, over 400 years okay. and how so many phrases from yeah. the bible are now used within everyday language like a good samaritan yeah people know what that is perhaps most people know this without the context of scripture and so many things that we don't necessarily know come from the bible have become part of everyday life yeah. which perhaps is different to what we're talking about those things that still don't necessarily make much sense within everyday language.
0: Yeah, it's like the opposite, isn't it? Like (laughs) Some phrases from the Bible are so widely used that, yeah, you you can communicate things with them very easily. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of our language is still held up with lots of hidden meaning, I guess. Hmm. Okay, so our next one uh, is me, and it's fellowship. Quite simply. And I find this one funny because um, I I remember growing up, I was like all about wanting more fellowship stuff at church. Like we had like a divisional youth fellowship we had. Um, Like uh, I wanted more youth fellowships at our church and all that sort of stuff. And really what I was wanting to do was just hang out with friends. (laughs) And I felt like that wasn't a good enough reason until I had a churchy word to put to that. like it's almost like we need a, need a churchy word to justify wanting to just be with each other um and at no other point in life do we feel the need to justify just being with friends do we but at church we need to give it this sort of higher status of fellowship like what what i I just don't quite understand like as in our language, In the wider world, we just never use that at all. But as soon as we get into church, it feels like everything needs to be justified with this word fellowship. If we just want to hang out and be with people,
2: you know, it's really interesting because at at my Salvation Army church, we've kind of rebranded or merged two different activities. Okay, and we've called it fun and fellowship. Mm. And we literally had this conversation about what does fellowship mean to anyone without it, but it was alliteration, so we had to go with it anyway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So. And it does carry a lot of meaning, I guess, um, especially for, for people in the church, because you see fellowship on something, you know you're going to get to have a cup of tea and a natter.
2: It's going to be cake.
1: Yeah. That's what it means. I think the, uh, the way that sort of you approached explaining what that means says quite a lot about probably what's wrong with the church <laughs> that we need to have an excuse to spend time with each other. Yeah. Um, and the way to do that is to invent a, a cool name for something and make it an event. Absolutely yeah and not just spend some time with someone but we need to have a name for it and that name needs to be vague enough to not really know what it is
2: yeah and it's interesting because just thinking about that in terms of fellowship don't you just think the image comes to your mind is that it's kind of that cringy socially awkward friendships Do you yeah. know what I mean? in terms of in terms of it oh, it's not like enforced. you're going to socialize with these people you wouldn't necessarily choose to socialize with
1: yeah yeah and what is what are the bounds of a fellowship? Like, can you can you play games when you're at a fellowship? Or is a fellowship literally just for standing and talking to someone, or sitting and talking to someone? Can sports be involved? I I don't I don't well, I think sports I'd draw the line there, but
0: games <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we would call it we we call that sort of thing a social, but even that I think is well. I guess you're just trying to come up with a name to communicate stuff to people aren't you um but it all feels like it's just i don't know what i'm saying here but it all feels like it's just a bit over the top for meeting up and hanging out
1: i think it might be that church over the years has looked down on people not doing something with their time yeah or at least not doing something meaningful like that you can quantify yeah so if you're not going out and preaching on the streets or teaching someone how to play a musical instrument or collecting money for like for charity or something then you're not doing anything worthwhile so we need to think of a name to make ourselves feel better about wanting to just spend time talking to people Mm.
2: and it's interesting because perhaps fellowship in itself the actual meaning of that word is okay it's how we've then changed it that makes sense to what fellowship means
0: yeah I, I think the actual word itself is it's pretty it's pretty bang on but it's just weird that this isn't a word used in wider in, in the world at all really outside of church or Lord of the Rings titles of I saw Paul le- leaning towards the mic and I thought it I'd jump by ahead. seconds
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah <laughs> So so the one that I want to bring, I guess it's not, I am breaking the rules slightly. Um, I would say it's still Christianese, but um, it's the, just the different names for the clergy in the church, right. which I think when you're trying to, especially describing to yeah. people who aren't Christians, but sometimes also to different denominations, the few times that we actually, you know, like join with other churches, as crazy yeah. as that sounds, but um. I'm just going to read a few priest, curate, preacher, reverend, parson, deacon, chaplain, archbishop, rabbi, abbot, monk, presbyter, friar, elder, officer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't know what some of the, I have missed missed ones out because I've never heard of them before. Um, And if I'm struggling as a lifelong Christian. Yeah. It's
0: a worry. It's tricky, because quite a lot of those that are like biblical terms as well, aren't they? Like, doesn't like, is it deacon that comes from like Acts or something like that? Uh, yeah, I may be talking nonsense here, but I think, I think some of right. them are taken directly out of scripture, um, and then others are completely made up. Like, well, the, like the Salvation Army's ones are all taken from the military, aren't they? Um, officer and uh, major, lieutenant. Are you um a captain
2: i am a captain Claire. and do you know what i get confused enough cuz like in terms of, i think in terms of some of these names i think my, some might be the title and some might be the function so like oh i think my title is captain but my role is an officer
0: okay. so i
2: don't i don't know but some of these maybe reverend deacon things maybe i don't maybe yeah. that's what it is one's function one's
0: that sounds right title? how often do you use your title just out of interest
2: well i use my title yeah uh, uh no
1: okay. do you like to be called captain Wybrow?
2: <laughs> there was a moment recently when someone asked if i was miss or miss, or mrs and that was the point i was like captain
0: captain yeah
2: but it's better than lieutenant because i can spell captain
1: yeah lieutenant, lieutenant that's, that's tricky isn't it?
2: always progress, <laughs> always progress <laughs> i have done a quick
1: google that. of deacon oh that's excellent. the you know, might have prepped before doing this. But, yeah, um, deacon comes from the Greek word mean uh, diakanos, which means servant or minister. Okay, so it does mean something, but in a different language, which I feel like kind of yeah, yeah, accentuates the point. And I really like servant minister. are uh, they're
0: kind of put together there, so there's there's all this like this depth of meaning behind the words that are used. That is great when you know it. <laughs> um but yeah it's where's that line between making our language really accessible and like upfront for everyone to 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 know but also holding on to some of the depth and history and tradition as well i don't know how we find that
2: it's funny actually because i'm thinking on my emails like i always just sign it as claire but beneath i do have it as captain Claire Wybrow, as if that core officer as if that's going to make a difference to my authority
0: but I, I, in some scenarios, that'll be really helpful, won't it? Um, to, have, to use your title and make people like, kind of understand instantly, oh, yeah, you do represent the Salvation Army, you do have this position, Is Yeah.
2: Because yeah. even with that, it's interesting, because in some, like, forms, I do references or whatever, I put core officer slash church leader, because, and we'll come on to this later, but in terms of the Salvation Army terminology, is even more exclusive, yeah. perhaps, than church terminology
1: yeah yeah i think it is but often i find so i work for people who are listening and, and don't know what i do i work in a christian charity that is cross denominational um and we i i find so many people stutter at the point where they're gonna say what their priest is called i have to think of what's the what's the normal word for priest because i would normally call them beacon or like yeah,
0: yeah officer
1: for example i do it all the time because i have to think do people actually know what i'm going to talk about and i'm talking to all the christians Yeah. And I have to think about what that means. So when I'm speaking to people who aren't Christians about church, I never know what to say when I'm talking about the person who's in charge. Mm. Because I want to use a word that they're going to relate to, but I can't do that because I have no idea what they're going to relate to because we use so many different words for it.
2: Yeah. yeah, like I would always say like when someone asks what do you do I'm always like oh like salvation Officer, like a vicar
1: is always the yeah
2: always the one I go to cuz I think that's probably the one one thing that people know even if it is just from the vicar idiot.
0: Yep.
2: Who I model myself on obviously.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that it's interesting you talk about that process of translation that goes on in your head as you talk to people cuz I think that's quite a healthy thing as well, because we're always going to find ourselves in situations where we encounter people who come from different backgrounds to us or different places to us. And like even things outside of church that we would so naturally talk about, sometimes we do need to go through that layer, that filter layer of translation um, for talking across cultural gaps. And I guess this is just one of those. So maybe what we need to get better at is translation rather than... Um, rewriting our own language as well i don't know
1: it's a good point and i mean it's well evidenced by the stories jesus told he told different stories for different cultures to make his points clear
0: yeah and i was i was blown away i did a bible study this week on um on uh disability and how jesus encounters people with disabilities and there's one where he, he um he encounters someone who is deaf and can't speak, and what he does is he gets um, mud, or, or like put his fingers in it in their in his ears, spits on him, and then like like uses mud and like is all really weird. And we were like, why is he doing all that? And then this Bible study talked through, actually how he uses like really physical touch, and he uses other set like sensory ways of communicating so that this person could understand what was happening, um, and and they. Because they they couldn't use the same ways like they couldn't understand what Jesus was saying they they couldn't hear him, and all those normal ways that Jesus would communicate. So he uses sensory measures, which is just so forward thinking. Like even today, we're just learning about using sensory communication and in in schools and all that sort of stuff. And he's doing it thousands of years ago, um, and that's that's him translating um, it on the fly in in different ways, not just with his language, but with his with his very being. And yeah. It's amazing
1: and i think that speaks a lot about um how we read the bible for one yeah and using the context behind things but also how we you know, like you say how we tell our stories but i was just thinking when you said that Um to, to translate that story accurately you you could just say jesus walked up to a disabled man threw mud in his face and spat on him yeah you could and if you read that without context that's what that story says yeah which is why it's so important to give the extra context in in what we say because that's opens up a different side of jesus that i've not thought about yeah. before just in that story yeah have you ever done that um, or heard that
0: example like i think we we got shown it in like um english class at school where they they talk about emphasis in a sentence and you can say i didn't kill that man and you can say it in so many different ways i didn't kill that man someone else did I didn't kill that man. Didn't do it. I didn't kill that man, but I may have maimed them. I didn't kill that man. Um, I killed someone else. I didn't kill that man. They might, might have killed a woman. Um, so <laughs> you can get so much extra meaning in the way that you emphasise words. And yeah, I think we've got to bear all that mind in mind as well when we read stuff that people said. <laughs>
1: gone probably slightly off topic incredibly Um, um, off topic (laughs) I can take most of the blame for that I'm happy to do that Um, but the second set of uh, points we had was in uh, Salvation Army terminology and phrases that we find um, interesting
0: yeah and I've got the first one uh, from this set and it kind of follows on nicely from uh, Paul talking about different names for clergy and it's about acronyms and this is very Salvation Army and Paul pointed out it's kind of it is in other denominations as well or in other christian organizations um but yeah we use acronyms everywhere uh we've got a dc we've got a dlld we've got co's we've got dys's yeah we've got so many different positions in in acronyms and it's really hard to keep track of
1: yeah well that's just the like positions for like employees then you've got like dhq yeah. and thq and ihq yeah. and uh yeah there's there's a lot of different
2: you need like a whole glossary yeah and then they just change them anyway so you're none the wiser
0: yeah it's true so do you find these things helpful like we're in general conversation within your work life claire especially um
2: like the thing is because we seem to have quite complicated names for anything i guess the acronym is better than the alternative which okay. is the words which don't necessarily help the situation yeah because it was in because i was i've been on a course like a couple of weeks ago and it was with mixture of salvation army officers and employees and one lady was a new employee to the salvation army and having a conversation with her because i was talking about someone who used to be a DYO, and like that's a divisional youth officer and she was like so is that an officer then and i was like well, no. <laughs> no, not really. What then? So, in terms of the words, let alone the acronyms that we use, it isn't necessarily as clear cut as what we,
0: yeah,
2: what we think it is. Um, and then someone else was saying how they've been in the Salvation Army for like an officer for ten years, and still things are sent out, and you're like, what is this? Yeah. And it's kind of that assumption that you will, you will know, because you know normally if you like write a document, like the first time, you have to put in brackets what it stands for yeah but somehow we've suddenly jumped a million stages from that yeah Yeah. and I guess in some core like you have like I don't know do you have the if you've got opposition in the core you get it do you get like the acronym initials on your uniform
1: like a metal on top of your to say what it says yeah
2: yeah and I guess it just wouldn't fit if it wasn't the acronym
1: (laughs) that's a good point is that where
0: this came from is that what started all this if it is I dislike it slightly
2: (laughs) slightly less it was a pragmatic option yeah.
1: But then again, I don't think we need to have our roles and blazers and our shirts. No, that's uh, not that. That's all. I mean, that highlights a bigger problem. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it means anymore. I guess you would hope with this language
0: that this isn't front facing language. <laughs> um, this is the sort of stuff that is used for divisional headquarters uh, dhqs um to communicate to core and other centers and it's kind of all the internal stuff and language to speed up conversation i guess that's where you hope it would use and other organisations will use acronyms in a similar way i guess
2: i just remember when they introduced drms which is divisional relationship managers and i thought you know that they're just to set up relationships turns out that's not true
0: no, But they do manage a lot of relationships as well, like in, in a roundabout way.
2: <laughs> but as you say, in terms of in whatever context there are, whatever organisation or business, even going to different schools, you it is part of the culture or the language of an organisation, of the government or whatever. Yeah. And I think perhaps it's recognising when that's appropriate to use it sure. and when it does exclude.
0: Yeah, and all, all of us are in churches and encounter people who aren't privy to all of this inside a language from the Salvation Army quite often, so that that's going to be hot on our minds, isn't it, about what language you use and what appropriate translation we use in whatever context, but I guess, um, yeah, that isn't as necessary for, for those that you know, most of their time is in Headquarters or a territorial level, or um, deal mostly with support, supporting those on the front line.
2: And I guess it's sort of like you know, when you text your grandma or something and you use acronyms and that can go terribly wrong, can't it?
0: Yes, it can. They are
2: very interchangeable and
0: very, very bad.
2: (laughs) Misinterpreted. Yeah. interesting because for a long while the Salvation Army had a motto of blood and fire which is interesting because outside of the context I'm not necessarily sure that that is a particularly welcoming message in terms of what the Salvation Army and what the church is about and we kind of justify it's interesting actually because the Salvation Army recently did a whole identity rebranding thing and in the document they produced they recognized that blood and fire doesn't necessarily make sense in contemporary UK society. And we still, we, we might know that actually it's about the blood of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit. But I remember when if I took friends along to church and at the front they've got this blood and fire, I always had to tell them it's you not know like, it's not yeah. scary as it sounds. Yeah, yeah. But then when you have to justify something as kind of potentially threatening or when it sounds threatening as that, you're like, hmm, does this do more harm than good? don't
0: know yeah absolutely and 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 there was um this uh, huge show game of thrones that was going around for a long time and there were different houses in this show and they all had different slogans and the targaryen house which was like the in many senses the big bad house that had dragons and were all scary and feared across the land their slogan was fire and blood or was it blood and fire I get the no, most, it was Fire yeah. and Blood. It was Fire and Blood, and ours is fi- um, Blood and Fire. And
1: as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I guess the hope is that anyone who comes into Salvation Army now and sees that will think that we're big Game of Thrones fans. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I've redeemed that one.
1: Yeah, which I'm
0: not sure the Salvation Army is a whole would endorse. Maybe not. Um, yeah, I think it's just such
1: a aggressive sound taken out of context but i I do wonder how many people have taken it without the context because the context isn't written down next to it so if anyone comes like you say people come into a meeting into a church for the first time and they see blood and fire written on the walls Um, and like as it, it makes me cringe now just thinking about that yeah yeah
2: but it's interesting also with that and the wider issue in terms of the Salvation Army, whilst for generations we've relied on the fact that people know what the Salvation Army is, but actually even that phrase, that, that, the name of that, hmm. what does that mean to people today?
0: I went for a haircut once and someone asked me what I did. I said, oh, i worked for the Salvation Army. He was like, what does salvation mean? And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, where do we go from this? So um, I ended up going back and talking about William Booth and how, his vision for sort of how it all started and giving him a history lesson. Um, cause I thought it was easier than <laughs> uh, other routes of explaining, but perhaps I missed an opportunity there. Um one of the, one of the things I like about the whole fire and blood thing or blood and fire, I've got myself mixed up now. Blood and fire, um, is that it's it's almost it sounds quite violent at first, and I think that there's this whole undercurrent of the the story of Jesus and the cross of him subverting violence and like how um, everyone expected like this big warrior to come and free them from the Roman um, Empire and that when the Messiah came that it was going to be this... Uh, I guess violent person to throw off the oppressors, and he comes and completely is the opposite of that. And the cross is just like this central point of saying, actually, no, this isn't how kingdom of God operates. It's not operating through the sword, but through love, and um, the actually drawing there on on that fire and blood, and that um, blood and fire, and all that sort of um, imagery. Kind of, if you if you understand that, can highlight the way that the cross says something different about the nature of reality and i think that's really powerful but again needs the explanation behind it for people to access that
2: yeah well, as you say, it, does, it can open lots of really positive conversations yeah, yeah. when someone says what does blood and fire mean you can't hide behind anything like you have to <laughs> tell the gospel yeah. within that and
0: it's provocative is isn't it
2: yeah, yeah. absolutely so within the context of where it is, and I guess it's that, that, that kind of relationship part. If we have relationship with people as they're exploring, it can be helpful um, rather than just being confronted with those words out of context, perhaps.
1: Yeah. I guess it is really difficult to control where you can add the context and when you can't. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because it's it's great when it provokes a question that allows you to give the context. It's not great when it provokes a thought that doesn't allow for a follow-up question. <laughs> because they're already out of the building. Yeah, yeah, and they've yeah. formed an opinion then that perhaps isn't representative. Um, I
1: don't know well, then. Do we want to use it? <laughs> Do we want to use blood and fire? Blood well? and we're fire, yeah. It back. Just,
0: I want a yes or no, Paul. Do you want it on the front of your church building? I'm going
1: to go with a strong no. Okay.
2: And I'm just considering whether it is within our church building.
1: I need to go and have a look (laughs) tomorrow. There's almost definitely a crest somewhere with it on. Um, Yeah, so the last one on our list um, is mercy seat. Um, So for people who don't go to Salvation Army, don't know what I'm talking about when I say mercy seat, um, that is kind of our, I guess some people would call it an altar. I guess that is sort of where it is. It's the, fo- the front of the church, normally where people will go to pray or um, to be closer to God, if that's a thing, Ooh. which <laughs> brings up its own questions in itself. But I think the idea is that it's a, uh, a focal point of, of prayer. Yeah. Um But it's not a seat and you can't sit on it, which irritates me quite a lot, as we found out when we were discussing this. I didn't realise quite how much it irritates me that it's a seat you can't sit on. And a seat that actually... If a child sits on, because they don't know any better, they get told off more, more often than not. And for um,
0: those who haven't seen a mercy seat,
1: it's like a long
0: bench, usually, isn't it? With like a cushion for you to kneel on, or
2: and in some places it has like interesting Bible verses or interesting Christianese in terms of the words it. written on it. Uh-huh. Come unto the Lord, or okay, others I can't remember right now.
0: Yeah and and there's there's code that goes along with use of the mercy seat right so if you were to go to the mercy seat with a songbook what would that mean is that that you don't want prayer or you do want prayer um so I, I think it's that you don't want prayer i'm gonna go with don't want prayer as
1: in don't want someone to come and pray with you yeah 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 it's <laughs> like you're not telling god that you you're there
0: but don't don't interact um no they i think if you go with a songbook you're going to the mercy sea and you don't want anyone to come and pray with you you just want to pray on your own there and if you go without you do want someone to
1: which, I'm Surely that should be the other way around. Um... I have absolutely no clue, but I think that says everything it needs to about how confusing it is. Yeah. Claire, you're an officer. You know all the rules, right?
2: I know all the rules about everything. <laughs> 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 I'm literally sitting here Googling Mercy Seat. <laughs> because interestingly, Mercy Seat is actually in the Old Testament.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah? Yeah, it's another term that we've repurposed
2: had a gold lid and a cherubim.
1: so the mercy seat is the lid of the ark of the covenant covenant interesting um
2: i don't have the ark of the covenant in mind
1: no have you ever looked you said you were very observant (laughs) (laughs)
2: it's interesting because we're thinking about the seat concept of this and the fact that probably don't sit on it but in terms of the mercy, mercy, because there's always been this assumption: someone goes to the mercy seat, it's because they've been very naughty that week, okay. and they need to find God's mercy. And it's interesting now because I remember even joking in the, la- in the last couple of weeks about like, "Oh, you've been in the mercy seat on Sunday," because it yeah. was that assumption that, um, and like, this is bad, but like, especially people if someone went to the mercy seat in the past, it was like people were speculating like, "Oh, what's going on? What's going?" And always that assumption that something is happening in someone's lives. Yeah. rather than actually they feel compelled by God to go and be there or feel that that will help them in their relationship with God.
0: Yeah.
2: Because I guess the concept of mercy is intertwined with forgiveness. And we always all need forgiveness. Sure. Sometimes it's been like, oh, they've got to go to the mercy seat because they've done something specifically scandalously wrong. It's and so bad that get... they
1: need an extra seat to go and pray at. <laughs> yeah, it's just a very problematic... I think the term is in itself more problematic than the thing. I've got no problem with people trying to be close to God and using something as a focus to do that. Yeah. Um, while and remembering that God is everywhere and sure, it's it's okay to not do that.
0: But it has been a really helpful and important uh, place in people's lives, hasn't it? Where they've gone and they've made important decisions at the mercy seat, they've prayed and they've signed covenants and that sort of thing. Um at the mercy seat signed uh, promises for soldiership or uh, to become an officer would you have signed your officership covenant at a mercy seat, at a mercy seat.
2: yeah yeah it's interesting because i'm just sorry we just brought me back to memory when i was at the <laughs> training college there was someone <laughs> was really bad, someone who knelt at the mercy seat for that long that they stood up and broke their ankle oh dear they genuine genuine story that yeah. um it's interesting actually, because in terms of the mercy seat, it, it can be a very special place and a very, uh, very place where important decisions are made.
1: Mm.
2: Um, but another, another kind of word sometimes used is the penitent form, Ooh. which perhaps which is, for mercy seat, which perhaps is even more confusing than uh, mercy seat, because my little Google tells me if you literally search penitent for the bench at which salvation seekers kneel at a salvation army meeting because perhaps and i think perhaps in the past it was kind of like if you go to the mercy, that that's where a decision can be made sort of thing and perhaps there's pressure if you're making a decision to go and kneel at the mercy seat
0: so that's all we've got time for uh, on today's episode i really hope that you've enjoyed the conversation and we'd love to hear uh what christianese phrases you love love or loathe and uh what they mean and yeah we'd love to carry on that conversation in the listener group and to find that head to facebook and search ssom listener group and we'll be there but uh, until next time be well